You are listening to Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. First broadcast on Rossendale Radio on the 5th of July, 2020. This week, Paul talks to Dr. Andrew Knight-Hill, Senior Lecturer in Sound Design and Music Technology at the University of Greenwich. He talks about his new book, Sound and Image, Aesthetics and Practices, and they discuss the complexities of sound and music. 104.7 Good afternoon, everybody. It is time for our waffle segment. Uh, Now, if you've been listening to this segment for a little while, we've been running it since August last year, and we've had all sorts of people coming into the studio, people that we've contacted by phone. There's a lot of poets out there. There's a lot of authors out there. We've had some performers. um, And and generally, the tone of the conversation is remarkably silly because I'm involved. Uh, And every now and again, I have to force myself to become a grown-up because I'm talking to a grown-up. And this time, uh, it's one of those moments. Uh, I had the a brilliant honour of speaking uh, to Dr Andrew Knight-Hill from the University of Greenwich and we'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, The next 45 minutes that you're going to listen to uh, with regards to what's going on uh, is different. Uh, It's going to be relaxing. It's innovative. It's fascinating. Um, The chances of me mentioning S Club 7 or Little Mix during the course of the next half an hour, 45 minutes or so, fairly minimal. You're going to be hearing some music and some sound and some talk about things that, quite frankly, blew my brain earlier in the week. And I'm going to leave it with you because it is an absolutely great interview and one of my favourites to have done so far. And I'll uh, leave you with that now. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Weekend Wind Down. My name's Paul Jenkins, and this is our waffle segment for the afternoon. And we always speak on a Sunday afternoon to somebody who deals in words and in language. Uh, But this week, uh, we've gone one step further. Uh, I'm speaking to Dr. Andrew Knight-Hill, who is joining us. Uh, Whereabouts are you joining us from this afternoon? I'm in southeast London. Very nice. Okay, and you work uh, with the University of Greenwich, is that correct? That's right. Yes. I teach sound design. So anything to do with sounds that go along with picture, animation, um, really trying to get people to listen to the world that's around them and to all of the amazing information that we get through sounds. It's uh, it, it must be such a, a, an amazing area to listen to, because I think it's one of those things that even in radio, we take for granted all the time. Uh, just that that idea of, you know, you can hear the music, but not really even listen to the lyrics. The amount of times that we play a song on the radio and somebody says, oh, I didn't know that song was about that. Um, is, is that one of the, th- the things that kind of drew you to sound design in the first place, that kind of fascination with that oral Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, for me, I was always really drawn to sound and music. And I loved, I had an old uh, radio and I used to love the weird sounds that you used to get tuning in between radio stations (laughs) and at the far end of the spectrum. And I always kind of uh, thought, I wonder what you could do with this. You know, this is cool, but only when I went to university later to study did I suddenly realise that people worked with this kind of material and used it creatively. And as you start to build your listening, you suddenly realise this kind of stuff crops up everywhere and it's used so much to tell stories. But because it's sound, because it's invisible, people don't tend to notice it. And when you're talking about sound, we're not just talking as we would regularly deal with uh, here on the radio station. We're not just dealing with our, our regular uh, music that we would listen to. We're talking about those those other sounds and, and noises, that, that kind of lyricism that comes from the everyday, isn't it? 
Absolutely, yes. It's it's uh, the sounds. I mean, if you took it from a musical example, it would be kind of you know on a musical track. Sometimes lots of the emotive element comes from the ex- the non-musical traditional things. You know, if someone's put presses their foot on a piano and you get the clunk of the piano or you hear their breath on the microphone, those are very subtle sounds that make us feel very connected to the person that's performing the music and that can be a really important communicator outside of the musical notes and the the song and the lyrics that they're playing and so i'm really interested in how these kind of almost everyday uh, sound criteria really influence our understanding and our experience of the world now i think it's now's probably a time to bring in a, an example of that uh, from uh, from your book uh, that, that you're talking about uh, now this is actually one of one of your tracks uh, that we're, we're going to play first of all we're going to play an excerpt from uh, and it's called incandescence do you want to explain where incandescence came from this is a, tra- a track you made is it 1986 you made this track it was uh it was a track that uh i got the sound recordings actually from a friend of mine he uh, is from cleveland ohio and his father used to work in a light bulb factory Mm. uh, and they used to make all the miniature light bulbs for all of pinball machines and things Mm -hmm. and uh, he sadly his father passed away and he went back uh to ohio and was able to get into the general electric light bulb factory where they manufacture all these things and he captured these ambiences of this once bustling space (laughs) now completely empty and i was really interested in this idea of the memory of that space and the activity and the hustle and bustle that it once had and so we took these just recordings of silence if you like it was just nothingness really the wind just blowing through the building and i wanted to bring back some of that life and that resonance that had happened there before so i enhanced certain frequencies in the uh, sound recordings in order to kind of bring out this kind of buzzing energy that was uh, evocative of light bulbs let's let's have a listen to it now incandescence uh, and as you say it was it was the, the kind of recording of a light bulb factory and I, we were just saying while it was playing that, that that i found that strangely soothing is that is that an odd thing for me to be feeling hearing hearing light bulbs is suddenly making me feel calm no I, i'm absolutely delighted to hear that i think that for me it's part of the intense or deep listening really you, you it's uh, it the, there's not really super a lot of quick activity going on in this track. It's not whiz bang. <laughs> it is about this subtle changes in movements, and it. I suppose it fits with you know this idea of mindfulness that's very become very popular more recently. People stopping and thinking and appreciating the small things in the world, and I think yeah, that's a big thing that drives my uh, practice is this idea of paying attention to the delicate little details in the world, which are little bits of beauty that are all around us, but that we so often just brush past very quickly. 
and it's it's easy to take those things for granted i mean two examples that i can think of particularly in relation to music is that this this kind of growth in in vinyl records that, that, that's appeared in the last few years and people saying it's the crackle of the vinyl that that makes me feel better about it uh, almost as if that's kind of bringing back some sort of nostalgia um and also in relation to what we've just played the the, the idea that uh, with with young children we, my, my my kids always used to go to sleep when you put them near the kettle uh, or, or near the washing machine because there was that kind of humdrum sound that was that was being created um it's it, we really do react as you were saying to these these pieces of incidental sound that are happening around us yeah i think it's uh it's really incredible it's funny you say that because yeah my sister recently had a baby and uh his favorite thing to listen to are extractor fans so i made a little <laughs> album for him for christmas of various extractor fan recordings uh and they absolutely love it you know they whack on the cd of uh extractor fans and he falls asleep it's uh it's great. Uh, if iPods still exist in 20 years' time, it's going to be, he's going to have that on at a party and suddenly there's a random track of extractor fans are going to pop up in the middle of a, of a massive uh, DJ set he's doing or something. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That would be great. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we're going to take a, a break for uh, with, with a, uh, we're going for, for what we call more conventional music. I should suggest, and we've, but you've chosen a, a track for us uh, uh, by Olivia Mezia, uh, which is uh, which is great. I love it when we're we're bringing new music uh, to to the station. Uh, do you want to explain a little bit about this track? Yeah, so this is an early piece of electronic music. Olivier Messiaen is a French uh, composer and uh, he's quite prolific. He did a lot of things uh, with the voice and with the organ. But this is an early piece that uses an early uh, electronic instrument called the Onde Martineau, which is a kind of electronic uh, keyboard that also has a slider on it. So you can do continuous pitch changes. So you don't have to jump from one note to the next. You can slide and glide. And in more recent times, this instrument's been made popular by Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. He uses yes. it quite a lot in some of their tracks. But this is one of the very early pieces that was made. I can't remember exactly the year, but it was late 30s this was made. Brilliant. This is Orasia. Please log in the information requested. The frequency. 104.7. The area. Rossendale Valley. The station. Rossendale Radio. Welcome back to the Weekend Wind Down. It's Paul Jenkins here, and I'm speaking to Andrew Knight-Hill from the University of Greenwich, uh, and particularly uh, about his uh, new book, which has recently been released. Uh, it's called Sound and Image, Aesthetics and Practices. Uh, and we've been talking in the first part of the conversation about the aesthetics side of things, about the kind of images, the mental images that we, we kind of get uh, and the, the feelings that we get when we listen to music and sound. Um, do you want to talk us through about the book and, and how it's come together, Andrew? Yeah, sure. The book came out of a festival that I organise in Greenwich. I've always been really keen and I've really loved universities because they bring people together and it's about sharing ideas and exchanging perspectives. And that's what these events were designed to do. They were bringing people and I was very lucky that people came from all over the world to contribute and to share their ideas and their research and it also brings together people who just focus purely on sound and listening with people who are also interested in working with the moving image so we have people that work maybe in film in more traditional narrative film but then also experimental films and abstract art films so we managed to build this dialogue and this exchange between people sharing their different approaches 
And I was blown away by the contributions that we had. And so this book is a collection of contributions from people that attended the first four years of the conference. Mm. So we're very lucky. There are people from all over the world. There are people from Australia, from South America, North America, all across Europe, Asia. Um, so it's a really eclectic uh, collection that focuses on the doing of sound practice. That was the key thing for me. There's lots of books talking about their ideas and thinking about it that come from the perspective of analyzing things that already exist. But for me, I wanted to get artists to share what they were doing right now uh, and communicate that with each other. And and how did you go about that that process of obviously we're talking about something which we listen to and yet a book is something that we will sit and passively read or maybe you want them to actively read is there is there a sense of uh, actually doing through the book how how do you go about kind of marrying those two things up Yeah no it is a really interesting perspective and I did try to keep it open for people so actually one of the chapters in the book is by a contributor called jim hobbs and he's a experimental filmmaker and he decided that actually he was going to make a a collage uh, a visual essay so in his chapter is actually all pictures if you like right. but it's excerpts of he works with uh, celluloid film so it's all photographs of film strips and he made a piece that was all about flowers so he has the different names of the flowers and things so it's this kind of beautiful poetic artistic uh, essay that's communicating through visual form as a representation of the work that he does which you know is a different way of sharing what you do it's a way of showing behind the scenes i suppose that's mm. different from explaining you know oh i went out and i took a photograph of a flower it's <laughs> actually showing some of those processes and um, well, it's interesting you, you touched on flowers there because the next uh, the next piece of, of sound that we're going to play is uh, is a piece by nikki chef it's it's Embolela. and and that's that's very much taking the the kind of roots of of nature and this is this is, is one of your choices to sort of expound on what we've been saying well do you want to describe this track to us yeah, I mean, this is a, an incredible track that's made from field recordings, and you really get a sense of the scale and space of nature. And I love the way that she has brought these patterns and sounds of nature and combined them and assembled them in a way that does create these musical patterns but without it being, uh, you know, overwhelmingly, doesn't feel like it's, there's been a lot of intervention. There has been intervention here. She has done lots of work to sculpt this in the way. But I love the natural feel that you just get from this piece. Let's have a listen. <laughs>
so that was Nikki Chef's track Emble Layla and and that's that's very much the sounds it I, I mean I, I was in the middle of a rainforest and I've never been to a rainforest before uh, that's that's where it transported me to um do you think that that we do that do you think stories come we, we, we just sort of build these stories in our head from from listening to tracks like that or even pieces of music or anything yeah absolutely I think that our brains are incredible and that they use the information that they get to build up a picture based on our past experiences. And it's funny you say you, you felt like you were in the rainforest, even though you've never been to the rainforest. Mm. Well, how do we know what the rainforest sounds like? You know, we get so much information from things like, I was going to say Blue Planet, but that's in Under the Sea. But, you know, those all those Attenborough documentaries yeah. and nature programs, we have heard what it sounds like in nature but of course the funny thing about that is that all of those sounds are often edited in afterwards in a studio you know when they're shooting these incredible pictures of these cats or animals uh, on the plains in africa they're using ginormous lenses to kind of zoom right in so there's no way that you can actually record the sounds of those animals so the sounds are often recorded at a separate time and then edited in later but it all comes together to create this incredibly evocative, immersive experience. It must be a strange. I mean, it, obviously not possible. If, if you'd have played that track to somebody 100 years ago with no frame of reference, would, would, have, would they have had a different mental image in their head? I suppose, it's, as you said, we bring ourselves to the table when we're hearing things like that. Absolutely. I think and there are these apocryphal stories of people first hearing records being played and not and asking, you know, well, they, they listen to something of a, a recording of an orchestra and they say, well, what instrument made that? Yeah. Because they don't uh, they didn't have a context of what an orchestra was. And I do think the same is true for my students. I think if they've never been to a classical music concert, I think it's very difficult sometimes to understand what you're listening to when you hear a piece of classical music but if you've been in the orchestra hall and you've uh, sorry if you've been in the concert hall and you've seen what's going on then suddenly your brain is able to pick out the different groups of instruments and understand it in a different way and I think that that's one of the incredible things we're so lucky with all the media that we have around us that gets to tell us all these stories and the technology is such today that we are able to communicate through all kinds of sound it's it's funny you should say about your uh, your students. I'm gonna I'm gonna really try and delve into uh, about how you go about learning sound design and technology uh, in the final part of our conversation, if that's okay. Um, we now we're, before we do that, um, you've chosen a track. Well, we've just finished our movie hour here on the weekend wind down, uh, listening to some movie soundtracks, and you've brought us some bonus material uh, because your next music choice is from the film Twenty Eight Days Later. That's right. Yeah, this was a big uh, film that I was a big fan of and it's got a more traditional uh, musical soundtrack but I really love the way that this builds in layers and it builds up to the climax and it changes in texture as well so one of the things that's quite interesting you listen to the guitar and it comes in and it's playing uh, in one kind of softer texture at the beginning but as it builds up it gets more aggressive and more textured uh, as it goes through. And I think it's a really nice example of how the qualities of sound can be used to create uh, structure and form rather than necessarily having to create different melodies or patterns. Well, this is John Murphy with In a Heartbeat. Playing more of the songs you like. This is 104.7 Rossendale Radio. 
Welcome back to the final part of our waffle segment. It's me, Paul Jenkins, on 104.7 Rossendale Radio, and I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Knighthill from the University of Greenwich. And we've been discussing uh, his new book, Sound and Image, Aesthetics and Practices, uh, and and some really fascinating uh, discussion about the, the kind of mental pictures that we get while we're listening to sound or music. And uh, now this is something that isn't just you're doing for fun. This is something that you, you teach, you, you run as part of, uh, of your courses at, at the university how do people what what sort of what sort of gets people into sound design what sort of people do you get coming to your courses well it's quite interesting as we've talked about already you know sound is maybe something that people don't necessarily think about initially uh it's often something that they maybe discover through something else so we have quite a few students who've gone off to study music and in the process they've maybe done one or two classes on sound for film or sound effects and they've suddenly realized this whole new world has opened up for them and the same could be true for people who've studied games or theater or mm. film they take one class which is about sound and they suddenly realize this whole uh, avenue of uh, potential is opened up for them and so those are the kind of students that we wanted to attract to our program and we deliberately made it accessible so we try not to limit the uh, backgrounds we understand that sound is not something that you can study at a level or at gcse mm. And so we wanted to make it accessible for as many people as possible because, you know, the diversity and plurality of voices is the thing that helps drive all of us. And I get inspired from my students just as much as they get inspired from me. I think as well, this it's almost like the, you're talking about people sort of going on a, a, a kind of oral journey a little bit of of, of coming to it from one place. You know, if, from from my point of view, I may have come. I did a, a sound design unit at uh, a university for my theatre degree, uh, but at the same time, that didn't just consist of choosing pieces of music to play in shows. There was there was there was that actual bringing together of atmosphere um, and things like that. So you, you must get people coming, like you say, from all different walks of life to try and kind of as part of your courses yeah absolutely it's and that's as i said is one of the greatest things about it is that sound is so open and so uh, all-encompassing and that it really gives people the opportunities to try things out and i you know when i started out i was teaching on music programs mm. and it was it was actually funny because the music students had more difficulty working with sound than students from animation or from theater mm. it was something about you know they would always say well but where are the drums where's the guitar <laughs> this isn't music and whereas the film students or the animation students or the theater students just would pick up the microphone and run with it and go yes great i'll do it um, so it is quite interesting how our expectations of what sound should be and what it should do uh, can influence and restrict sometimes our creative possibilities. So it's about one of my big jobs is to make people listen more mm. and to think about and realize that there is a lot more that they can do with sound than perhaps they were aware of. 
I, th- I think one of the things that actually you mentioned earlier on in the interview, you you mentioned about uh, Radiohead, for example. Uh, right. And and if you listen to early Radiohead, they are a traditional rock band. But as time has gone on, their experimentation with sound and the the different you know qualities that different instruments can make and the the kind of so- soundscapes you can make almost of things that they've so kind of developed into that. And I'm thinking in the the same sort of musical journey the Beatles went or the, the Beach Boys. Uh, do, you, do you think that's something that that, that as as sort of musicians go on they start to experiment more with the the kind of boundaries of sound a little bit absolutely and i think that for people you know when you just listen to the records you don't necessarily realize it but i do think that all of these changes and these subtle details really are what makes a difference and yeah i think it's people they start to understand their medium more and they start to push the boundaries and play with these ideas of different textures and they all do make a massive impact i mean it's one of the things that uh, people don't necessarily realize is how much of a transformative effect the technology of recording has had on music you know none of these tracks pop tracks today just wouldn't exist in the same way because the technology of recording allows you to get these subtle details and textures in sounds which you just wouldn't normally hear if you were on the other side of the room and someone was playing in the corner you know, it, it enables you to access sound in a completely new way. I, that's the thing. I suppose we build on the things that have gone before. I, th- I remember uh, seeing a fascinating documentary about 10cc when they were recording "I'm Not in Love," uh, and the the whole soundscape that's created there is not on not played on a keyboard. It's played through the soundboard. They actually used it as an instrument. Um, whereas now that could be replicated through a computer program, I should imagine. Um, so it's 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 great to hear about the evolution. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where where sound design is in even in 10, 15 years time. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like this idea of playing at the boundaries of is it a sound or is it music, you know, questioning and taking ideas from music and using those to inform uh, ideas of sound design, maybe sound effects. And likewise, taking what are people doing in work when they work with sound effects and how can we bring this to our musical practices. I think that they're two worlds that often, you know, are quite divided and they don't share with one another, but they're they're all still working with sound as their fundamental material and there's so much they can learn from one another. And that was one of the drivers behind the book, really, was Mm -hmm. to bring people together to share those ideas. Well, sadly, we are coming towards the end of, of our conversation this afternoon. But uh, I think it's very important that we let the people of the people of Rossendale and beyond uh, know whereabouts they can get hold of your book if they if they want to have a look at it. Absolutely. So the book is published by Routledge mm-hmm. and it's available on Amazon and I believe all good book resellers <laughs> and for our friends uh, listening, I wanted to let you know that if you go to the Routledge website and you use the code SAI30, you will get a 30% discount on the book. That's perfect. Well, there you go. That's something that uh, that people can look forward to. Uh, it's uh, it does sound like it's a, it's a, a fascinating uh, volume of of and collection of international artists all all, all coming together. It's uh, I'm looking forward to having a, a browse through uh, on my own. This is what we can do with lockdown. We can we can start to expand our minds a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, now the now the last track you've chosen for us, I think, is very apt uh, because you've called, it's called Goodbye. Uh, yes. Uh, and this is by Apparat. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. So Apparat 
is a German electronic musician uh, who I've been a big fan of for many years. I think I discovered his music through a John Peel session, mm-hmm. and uh, he then released an, uh, an EP of that session recording that he'd done as a tribute to John Peel later. But this is from a more recent album, and it's actually been used as the theme song to a German television program called Dark, which is available on Netflix, which I recommend is a mm-hmm. kind of twisty, turny world where there's time travel, and alternate <laughs> realities and things. It's a really great, uh, although slightly confusing, program at times. Uh, but uh, it's yeah, really evocative, and this is um, a really great choice that they've made for the theme song for that. Andrew Nighthill, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. This My is Apparat. 104.7 Rossendale Radio. Yes, that's right. It's bonus time again. Every now and again, we like to make sure that you get a little bit extra from Waffle the Bite Size podcast. And this is no exception. Uh, I've uh, all the way through the lockdown, I've been trawling through the Internet, uh, trying to find great examples of poetry to share. uh, And particularly as I generally work in schools, uh, looking for examples of of kids who have uh, started to get creative during the lockdown uh, and to try and big up their work as much as possible, because uh, sometimes they'll do those things in isolation. uh, And actually sharing those things would usually happen with their class or their teacher um, but that's not possible at the moment and one of the people that's really shone during the course of this lockdown uh, is Ebony Errington Beach who I first came into contact with through the Poems for a Pandemic project um, but she has gone from strength to strength ever since uh, having her work published in that particular book. Uh, she's now set up her own Facebook page as Ebony Boo Poet, if you want to go and check her out. Uh, and uh, she's 10 years old and she writes the most amazing pieces of work. Uh, her teacher has asked her remotely uh, to write a piece about tigers. And most kids would write something, some rhyming couplets about claws and jaws and, and you know, fur and, and all sorts of other things. Uh, no, uh, Ebony's decided that what she would do was to write a Shakespearean sonnet. And I'm going to share it with you now. It's called Thou Art a Tiger. A gasp of breath thou want to take, sight of thy tiger thou start to quake. Quiet still hidden in the dark, thou art to question thy tiger's heart. Sunset orange is embroidered on his skin, jet black stripes like midnight sin. Mouth of daggers, eyes of gold, tongue of pink and bones of bold. Mercy may lie down in the deep. Thou is in my dreams, I will not sleep. Claws of rage and tail of swift, paws of temper and roar like fists. Heart of marble and ears of stone, they'll take my metal, it is not shown. Thy wisdom comes from deep inside, thy is encumbered, but thy will not hide. And I love this poem, partly because of its use of language, partly for its just amazing use of metaphor and simile, but also just because of the the level of writing that we've got there. There are words in there that I do not use on a day to day basis. And I'm a a working poet myself. I, you know, not just sewn on the skin, it's embroidered on the skin and the, you know, the mouths of daggers, the these pink bones of bold and then use it. I mean, encumbered in the final sentence there, just absolutely amazing work. And uh, and I think if that's what Ebony is producing at the age of 10, my goodness, I think we've got a poet laureate on our hands for the future. Keep an eye on that one. 
And so there you have it. Another Waffle the Bite Size podcast comes to a close. My thanks this week go to Dr. Andrew Knight-Hill from the University of Greenwich for the time he took uh, to have a chat to me about his new book. Uh, and it was absolutely fascinating about where that line is drawn between sound and music and sound effects and all of the mix in between, that experience we have of hearing the world. And I think it's going to leave me pretty much looking at the rest of the world this week and thinking, you know what, I'm going to take some time to stop and listen and maybe just hear just that little bit better. Uh, my thanks as ever go to all of our colleagues at Rossendale Radio for allowing us to broadcast at the weekend. And my thanks as ever go to Melanie Kemp for all her work editing and producing Waffle the Bite Size podcast. We will be back with another guest for you next week.